Good morning, everybody. I am one of those people that have been traveling a lot, um, so it's really good to be back and see all of you. Um, I'm going to try something today. Uh, I went home this last week, and I was in my family's church, and one of the things that they say after they read scripture is, this is the word of the Lord for you, the people of God. And then the congregation says, thanks be to God. So I figured we could try it, and if, you know, if we don't like it, we don't have to do it again. But I was like, let's try it. Cool. Today's scripture is uh, from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 15, verses 11 through 32. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed his pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death? I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son t said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in, his, was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has, he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became very angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered, but he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never even gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, come home, comes home, you kill the, the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad, because your, this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. This is the word of God for you, the people of God. Good morning. How's everybody today? Good. Happy Father's Day. Um, I have a problem today. You know how I like the library so much? Yeah, well, um, I like to read to Ben, too. Uh-huh. Well, 
we have this book, and well, it's due back to the library, but the problem is Ben got a hold of it, and it's got a chair, and it's got some added artwork, and some of the pages are sticking together, and that's a problem. <laughs> Library's not going to be too happy with me. I'm afraid they're going to make me pay for the book, and it may even take away my library card, which would really break my heart. I couldn't deal with not having a library card. I don't know what I'm going to do. <laughs> would you do that for me? Would you do that for me? That would be, I, and you could just, well, but they, they're going to know that I checked it out. But they're going to know that I checked it out, so. That, that would be fabulous, you know, and that actually brings me to the whole message for today. There are three words that come to mind when I think about this story. Justice, mercy, and grace. Justice is what I deserve. I messed up the book. Well, actually, he did, but, um, but he doesn't have a library card. I do. Um, so the book is messed up, so I deserve to have to pay for it, right? That's justice. You do this, you deserve this. Mercy would be if they say, it happens, we understand, we have three more copies of the book, it's not a big deal. That would be mercy, okay? Getting, or not getting what I deserve, mercy. Grace, however, is the big one. Grace is when you get what you don't deserve. Getting to keep the book, and maybe you haven't even given me a new copy of it since he enjoyed it so much. That would be grace, right? I don't deserve to have the right to take books out of the library anymore. I don't deserve the right to not have to refund that. It also brought me to the word prodigal. We hear that word when we hear this story, the prodigal son. Do we really know what that word means? Does anybody know what that word really means? Well, that's what I always thought. Lost. You know, someone who disobeys is lost, doesn't do what they're supposed to do. But that's not really what it means. So I looked it up for us today, and it says that... Excuse me. Prodigal means spending money or resources freely and recklessly, wastefully extravagant. <laughs> Politicians? Okay. Um, but, hmm, yes, the son did that. He spent money and wasted his resources. It also says having or giving something on a lavish scale. Hmm. So, I have to admit that I was a little confused when I saw the title of the sermon today, The Prodigal Father. But when I look at this definition of prodigal, that second part of it, Having or giving something on a lavish scale kind of fits the father part, doesn't it? And that also made me think about the grace that happened when, what? 
What? What do you need? You need to sit down. Um, the grace that the father showed the son. The son wasted all the money that the father gave him. He shouldn't have had it yet, anyway. But he wasted it all. But the father lavishly gave it to him. And then the son lavishly wasted it. But we all make mistakes. We all screw up in life. We all damage a library book or get a traffic ticket or do something that we shouldn't do. The thing is, God is lavish with grace. He forgives us. He has forgiven us even before we did it. The thing is, we have to come to him and say we're sorry, just like that son did. Now, the other son, we always forget about him. I always forget about him, too. He had everything. He just never asked. He could have had a goat or a fatty calf. He just never bothered to ask. Hmm. Makes you think. But grace is an amazing thing. And God lavishes it on us. And that's pretty impressive. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you so much that you love us. No matter what we do, no matter how we behave, when we come back to you, you are so excited to have us back that you lavish your grace on us. When we deserve justice or even mercy, you give us grace. You give us what we don't even deserve. You give us so much more because of what Jesus did on that cross. So we thank you for Jesus, and we thank you for your love and for your grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's pray together. Our Lord and our God, we thank you for this time that we can learn from you through your word. I pray that you will help me to speak clearly. Help all of our hearts and minds to be open to you and to what you have for us today and to bring it to others. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, Barb kind of um, stole my thunder because she already gave you the definition of the word prodigal, and she must have looked it up in the same place because I have the same exact definition written down here spending money or resources freely and recklessly, wastefully extravagant. But I'm actually glad that she did that because it um, helps us get on the right page right away. We talked about the first two, this is a, the third parable in a series of three. We talked about the first two last week. What were those two? Anyone remember? The missing coin and the lost sheep. Right. And there are some differences between those, the first two and this parable, and we'll talk about some of them, but just off the top of your heads, is there anything that you notice that's different? Um, they, they all kind of have a si similar message, but there's a, a few notable differences. Anyone want to take the diagnostic test before we... <laughs> Right. 
the sheep and the coin weren't squandering anybody else's riches. They weren't really doing anything. I mean, maybe the sheep got itself lost, but um, they don't have a whole lot of what we call agency in their stories. Everything just kind of happens to them. That's a little different in this one. So let's talk about that. What do we miss? This parable is normally known, at least in English, I don't know what they call it in other languages, but in, in English, in the UK and here, it's usually called the, the parable of the prodigal son. But we miss some things about it and about what it means when we call it that. We miss three things especially. The first thing that we miss is that there are two sons. This is why we always forget the second son, because we don't really think the parable is about him. He's just kind of this add-on character at the end. But Jesus starts the parable saying, there was a man who had two sons. They both matter. One of them, however, does not fit the description of prodigal. Right? One of them is not wasteful. He's actually a little stingy. So when we call it the prodigal son, we don't notice that there's two sons. Uh, we could call it the lost son. Some people call it that. And that, makes it, that could include either brother because they're both kind of lost. Um, and it ties it in with the two parables before, which, which are about lost things. But we're still missing something. We're still missing two other things, actually. One thing that we're missing is the prodigality of their dad, which Barb pointed out. The father is prodigal. See? Because the other definition is having or giving something on a lavish scale. He is lavish, both at the beginning of the parable and at the end of the parable. But he's also, he also fulfills the, definition, the first definition. The father is almost reckless or wastefully extravagant with not only his resources, but himself. And we know this because the younger son comes up to him at the very beginning and says, give me my inheritance. Which is basically like going to your dad and saying, I want you to die. Since you're not dead yet, I want your stuff. I don't want a relationship with you. Just give me your stuff. You're as good as dead to me. And the father gives it to him. This is wastefully extravagant. So, we miss, when we call it the prodigal son, we miss that the dad is prodigal, more prodigal. We also miss that the father, and not either of the sons, is the main character. And actually, maybe that's the case with all the parables, and especially this group of three parables, the shepherd, the woman, and the father are the main characters of all three of these stories. But maybe this is true in every parable that Jesus tells us. Maybe every single parable is Jesus' down-to-earth way of bringing humans face-to-face -face with the reality of God and giving them a choice of what to do about it. 
Okay, so this parable, we've been talking for this entire series about the frame story that gives us the context that helps us understand the parable. This week's frame story is the same as last week's frame story, um, which was, now the tax collectors and sinners were gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And so Jesus tells these three parables, and first he tells the lost sheep parable, and then he tells the lost coin parable. What was the point that Jesus was trying to get across to these Pharisees and Torah teachers? What's that? They are lost. Yeah, they are lost. But he does it in a very clever way, where it could seem like he's talking about the tax collectors and sinners being lost, so that they, they get the point that lost people are important, they, the tax collectors and the sinners are important, but then if you dig into the parable, I was telling Kathleen the other week that as I've been doing the sermon series, the deeper I dig into a parable, there's like this moment where all of a sudden it's like I went through a wormhole and come out the other side and everything is still true, but it's like different than I thought. <laughs> and, and I think that that's kind of what happens or what Jesus is trying to do with the Pharisees and the, tax and the Torah teachers, you guys think this is about the tax collectors and sinners being lost, but it's really about you being lost. So, and at minimum, what Jesus is doing is leveling the playing field. He's showing the tax collectors and sinners over here and the Pharisees and the Torah teachers over here you guys are not actually that different. The only difference is be between you guys is that somebody's lost and somebody's found, and maybe it's not as clear as you thought, which is which. The other thing that Jesus is trying to um, communicate, I think, here, because every single one of these parables, even one about a piece of money, ends with a party. And, so I, and we already talked about the great banquet. And so I think the other thing that Jesus is trying to communicate here is the feast of the kingdom of God is already happening in the heavens. Every time somebody repents, every time somebody return, is reconciled to God, there's a party happening. And so if the prayer is for God's will to be done on earth as it is in the heavens, we need to be living out and celebrating reconciliation with God now. Not just waiting for some next life, but now. So this third parable takes those analogies of lost and found things to a new level. We find out something, because we're talking about humans now, so we find out something about the motivations of the lost and the found, of both of the sons. We also find out something of the character of the father. We don't really know much about the character of the shepherd or the woman, except that they are really persistent in finding something that's important to them. But we find out something more about the character of the father, and we see, like you guys pointed out, the lost ones in this story are not passive like the sheep and the coin. They get themselves lost, and they have to get back to the father. So, we have this parable. We know it really well. There are two sons. The one son, we already said, takes his inheritance before his father's dead, goes off, wastes all of it, ends up 
encountering some kind of famine or drought or recession or depression or something. Anyway, he has nothing. He is, remember, this is a Jewish, uh, this is a story told by a Jewish man to a Jewish audience, so these characters are probably Jewish, and this son ends up feeding pigs and wants to eat the pig's food. Be aware that this is like the lowest possible place this guy could be in this context. Pigs are not kosher. Um, and meanwhile, the father is waiting for him to come back. And so finally, the younger son decides, you know what, I was better off. My, my father's servants are better off than I am right now. I'm just going to go home, and I'm going to be a servant. And so he runs home with this whole speech planned out. But his father sees him a long way off and takes off running, which is, again, sort of an exhi exhibition of prodigalness, prodigality, because a distinguished member of society, an older man in Jewish society, would not run, especially for a son who had shamed him like that, runs to him, welcomes him back, doesn't let him give his speech, and throws a giant party for him. And the other son is off doing work in the field. And he hears this commotion, and he comes back and asks the servant what in the world is going on, and finds out his younger brother has come back, and his dad is throwing this party, and he's mad. <laughs> yeah. What's that? To say the least. That's right. You, you heard the word I didn't say. Anyway. <laughs> um, and so, he, so his dad comes out to try to bring him into the party, and he says, you didn't ever give me anything. I've been here this whole time. I've never disobeyed you. I've done everything you wanted. How come this loser is getting this big party and I've never gotten anything. And the father said, everything I have is yours already. Come on in. The father longs, the father goes toward both sons, but both sons have to decide what they're going to do about it. Okay, so which is the lost son? Both. Right. I think if, if you're sitting here in a church, and especially if you grew up in church, or you've been in church for a really long time now, it is easier to identify with the older brother and to feel how he feels. Um, but they are both lost. Yeah. One of them leaves, physically leaves, and is wasteful with the father's resources. The other one stays home and is stingy with the father's resources, and neither one of them cares about the father at all, just the resources. Exactly. So, which son becomes the found one? Really? The one who goes in. So far, Jesus doesn't really finish the story. So far, the only the one who comes home and goes in and has this party and didn't get to say his big speech about, I'm only going to be a servant, he's the one who is found. The older brother 
is offered the same opportunity, but Jesus doesn't show us what choice he makes. Is the elder brother going to go in and celebrate with his father and the servants and maybe his friends and the younger brother? This is an invitation that Jesus is extending in his parable. All of his parables are invitations. But this one is particularly striking, and I think that's why he tells this particular set of stories in a, in a set as three. Because he's gradually, in each story, he's bringing it closer and closer to home, and then he opens it up, and it's an invitation. What are you going to do? Pharisees and Torah teachers and other people who think that you have God all figured out. You're standing here on the steps. You're mad that the tax collectors and the sinners are coming and hanging out with me and listening to everything I have to say. They're your siblings. Maybe they're younger. Maybe they don't know as much about God as you, or maybe they have acted more disrespectfully towards God than you, but... The elder brother's not that respectful, actually, is he? You have access to everything I have, the father says to the elder brother. My giving it to your brother doesn't make there be any less for you. Your resentment and your refusal to come to the party is what is shortchanging you. It's nothing about the father that is shortchanging either of the brothers. It's their response to the father. So, I'm going to say this again. We already said this this morning, but let's be clear. There are no perfect earthly fathers. And some people in this congregation have had or still have very conflicted, difficult relationships with their fathers, and I want to acknowledge that, and I also want to acknowledge that there are a number of fathers here who are very good fathers, even though you're not perfect, who love your children, and you don't have a great relationship with your children, and it's not because of lack of effort on your part. I feel like those fathers maybe can feel a little bit what this father felt like even if you can acknowledge that you haven't done everything perfectly and this father in the parable is God, so obviously he's perfect. I just want to acknowledge that both fatherhood and motherhood are really complicated, messy, families are messy. So I, <coughs> I don't want anybody to here to hear like, I have a difficult relationship with my father and this is how I should be to my father, like, but he's a jerk, or I have a difficult relationship with my child and am I not doing something right to bring this child back? That's not the point of this story. The point of this story is God is our father and God is a perfect father and how are we going to respond to him? So the father is the point of this particular story. In the previous two stories, the shepherd was the point. The woman was the point. These two sons think that they are the point. They have completely lost any concept of who their father is because all they want is his money. 
So the sheep that is found and the coin that is found and the son who comes home are worth celebrating, not because they are necessarily so awesome in themselves, but because the shepherd and the woman and the father say they are worth celebrating. Their value comes from the person who loves them, who wanted them back. Our value, our identity, comes from our Heavenly Father, whose image we bear. We're all pretty different from each other. We all look pretty different from each other. And yet, we all have a family resemblance if we are gods in Christ. And that's where our value comes from. Every human's value, whether they acknowledge God or not, comes from God, because we, all of us, bear God's image. Both of the sons were lost. Their lostness had nothing to do with their physical location. It had everything to do with their heart's location and the desire of their heart. The younger son desired to have pleasure. He desired to have a good time. He desired to live in the moment. The older son was more like long-term planner guy. He desired to be wealthy. He wanted to be secure. He was willing to wait until his dad died. And, but he just wanted money. Neither son desired a relationship with their father. And that is why they had no idea what he was like. They didn't know that he was the best party thrower out there. The son says, give me all the money. I'm going to go and party. Anybody catch the irony of the fact that the father throws him probably a bigger party than he's ever had when he comes home? They had no idea that the father was so generous so wastefully extravagant. They had no idea that their true fulfillment came from their father and their identification with their father and not from his stuff, not from his blessings, not from all the resources they could get. The younger son demands his inheritance before the father's even dead. He believes he can only benefit from the resources if he takes it far away from the father's view so the father can't see what he's doing with it. And it's only after he spends all of it that he realizes that he is better off with his father than apart from him. He realizes that he would be better off in the same household as a servant with his father there than with all of the stuff and his father somewhere else. He assumes that he needs to do penance. And he is willing to do penance. He is willing to become a servant, but he doesn't have to. He only has to repent. Repentance me is a word that means not so much apologizing, but turning around. So you said so you were doing something and it hurt somebody else, and they said and they let you know that, and you said, I'm sorry, but then you just kept doing the thing. That's not repentance. That's an apology. It is kind of totally different, yeah. <laughs> so if you 
are doing something and it hurts someone else and you turn around and don't do that thing anymore, that is repentance. It's a, re, it's a change of mind and it's a change of action. And that's what the son does. He's going in this one way, away, 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 away from his father, and then he turns around and says, I'm going to go back. That's the part that matters, not the servant part. It's interesting that there's a difference in repentance between this parable and the first two also. In the first two parables, Jesus talks about these two things that are lost, that are kind of passive, and he concludes the story by saying, both stories, by saying, this is what it's like. Uh, there's a party in heaven whenever one lost person is repents. And he has to use the word repentance in those two stories because we can't see it in action. We can't see a coin repenting, and we can't really see the sheep repenting. But here, Jesus doesn't use the word repent because he's showing us what it looks like. He shows us that all of us, even the ones of us who never left home and who never squandered our inheritance, need to repent too. All of us need to repent. Because there are things for every single one of us that we have turned toward instead of God that we either trust in or that we like better or that we just assume are better than God, more interesting, more rewarding. And we all have to turn around towards God. Here's the thing. When we do that, we don't lose the other things. When the son who ran away comes back towards his father, he gets all the things. And this is what, the, the, what Jesus has his, his father invite the older son back into, too. The older son also wants his father dead in order to access the inheritance, just like the younger ones. He wants him dead. He's just waiting. He's going to let it take its natural course, or maybe not, because think about who Jesus is telling this parable to and who ended up killing Jesus. Yikes. <laughs> this elder brother says, I never disobeyed you. I've been here this whole time, and you never even gave me a small goat so I could party with my friends. Woohoo, that sounds like a fun party. <laughs> he never asked. That was his first problem. He's been living in this very well-off situation and he has never asked his dad why. Also, his version of a party with his friends is not like his brother's, I'm going to say. It is stingy because he assumes that his father is stingy, even though he's seen his father give half of the inheritance to his younger brother already. Why would he even think that? But he assumes the father is stingy, and I think he assumes that he's better because he didn't ask. He never asked. Sometimes, I think, because I know I've experienced this myself, religious people, often Christians, unfortunately, assume that our father is stingy, either with material things or with spiritual resources. Um, this is 
probably not true here, and I think this is becoming less true, but for a really long time it was almost famous that Christians were horrible tippers at restaurants because they would leave tracks to, to try to, <laughs> there must be somebody in the food industry who's nodding, um, leave tracks to try to save people instead of actually helping them in the here and now by giving them a good tip so they could actually live, make a living. And this is something that I think, and I've, I have seen this play out in other areas too, where people of our generous God are kind of stingy because we think that God is stingy. And I think we think that sometimes because we, we know that God doesn't always answer our prayers how we think and um, we, don't wanna, we don't believe in a health and wealth gospel here. That's not, that's not biblical. And so we assume that therefore God just wants us to have this joyless life. We can't be generous with other people. But God is generous. God wants us to be generous because he is generous. And so, th but this son doesn't get it. And so he is floored when he sees his father being so wasteful with a son who doesn't deserve it. He is totally unable to see that he doesn't deserve this either. He doesn't deserve anything any more than his brother does. He is nothing like his father. His father loves him enough that he would treat him exactly the same as the younger brother if only the older brother would let his guard down and let his father be in a relationship with him and let his father love him. Neither son knew the father at all. The younger son took a chance on repentance and found out just what kind of a generous, wastefully extravagant dad he had. A dad who would run to him, a dad who would throw him the biggest party he had ever seen, and a dad who would continue to be and always had been extravagant with him. And the older son, Jesus leaves standing in the doorway. What is he going to decide? He has the option. Jesus doesn't close the door on him, but he doesn't have to go in. Jesus leaves the decision to his listeners. The tax collectors and sinners have already repented, and they're already having the party to end all parties and to end all things. And so the question Jesus leaves the Pharisees and the Torah teachers and us too with is, are you going to come in or not? Hmm. Let's pray. Lord God, it's hard to remember how extravagant, how lavish, how much you love us, how awesome you are, and how great it is to have a real relationship with you. Even those of us who love you or are trying to love you or who come to church regularly and serve and do all the things, and I include myself in this, sometimes we lose sight of you. Lord, help us not to lose sight of you. Please keep us turned towards you, getting to know you better and better so that we more and more have the family resemblance. In Jesus' name.